Welcome to the Untold Tales Audio Anthologies. Written by Dr. Jeffrey A. Robinson and narrated by Melissa Del Toro Schaffner. Zero Day Exploit Lauren Pierce entered Brian's Midtown Studio apartment using his own key. The place was really one large room where Brian worked and slept. Until their project completed and they started making money on Lauren's capital investment, this was the most he and Brian could afford for the fledgling enterprise. The room had windows along the wall overlooking the street. The majority of the studio was filled with multiple rows of tables, computer displays, and workbenches, though a small sofa bed and a small kitchenette could be seen on the other side of the room. Brian was working at one of the electronics benches as Lauren entered the room and was apparently so absorbed in his work that he didn't even notice his partner's arrival. So what's so important, shouted Lauren, that you summoned me out of a conference with some South Korean businessmen who I've been trying to talk into a deal for two months? You said it was an emergency. Brian looked up excitedly. Thank God you're here, he said, standing up. In his hand, he held a dish-like electronic contraption with wires that attached to a patch cord of electronics. I've made a breakthrough that's absolutely going to make us rich, but I need you to help me test it. You mean you've cracked the Subvox encryption algorithm? Asked Lauren. After financing Brian's scheme to the tune of $200,000 more than three months before, he had given up any hope of getting a return on his investment. But if Brian actually succeeded, they would be able to claim the million-dollar bounty that was offered by the company, or they could sell it to the highest bidder for many times more. Well, not exactly, countered Brian. I mean, well... <laughs> Actually, not at all. But trust me, this is better. Lauren sighed, and his hopes evaporated, as he wondered if now was the time to dump Brian and his harebrained schemes. Kicking a stool out from under one of the nearby workbenches, Brian said, Here, take a seat, and I'll explain. Lauren slowly walked over to Brian and took a seat on the stool, as Brian began talking. So... You know how Subvox came up with their first product three years ago? Back then, it consisted of an earpiece that you wore behind an ear and a tiny stick-on sensor that attached to the throat. If the user just mouthed the words, the sensor and electronics could figure out what words were being spoken and convert them to text, just as if you'd really spoken them or typed them. The application went viral, and people had a reliable way to send and receive text silently and without a keyboard or smartphone. People with the Subvox app could send text, and the text would be converted back to speech for those that received the messages. Yeah, yeah, said Lauren. That's old news. Subvox became one of the fastest-growing companies in the world and had a complete lock on a new industry. <laughs> the miracle is that they managed to avoid getting bought out. So what? Everyone knows this. Wait, said Brian. This is important. Anyway, their first version wasn't secure. A few people managed to tap into the texts being sent, and Subvox almost folded. But then they came out with Mod 1 that had stronger encryption. 
Then Mod 2 added a couple more transdural sensors behind the ear that tapped into brainwaves of the users. Over time, a neural network chip in the earpiece learned what brain signals corresponded to what words, and then all users had to do was just think about the words to have the messages sent. Right. And now all people have to do is think words and they can communicate with other people anywhere in the world using cell phone networks. No one even uses cell phones anymore. Within six months, Subvox product sales exceeded Apple and Samsung. But then people managed to crack the security on Mod 2 again, and the company took another hit. Anyway, you're supposed to be working on breaking the encryption on Mod 3. The company is so confident that no one can hack their product anymore that they've even offered a $1 million prize to anyone who can. That's what I've funded you to do. So if you say you haven't done that, why am I here? Brian grinned. Because I've figured out something even better. Lauren leaned back on his stool and his eyebrows furrowed. Brian now had his full attention. I haven't made much progress hacking the encryption on the messages people send, so I've been reverse engineering the Subvox Mod 3. As you know, signals from the brain are received by the transdural sensors and are interpreted by a neural network chip. Words are then generated on their proprietary CPU chip and are encrypted before they get sent. But their new encryption algorithm is too strong to break. I don't even think the mythical NSA computers could crack them. That's when I figured out a different solution. What? asked Lauren. Holding up the strange metal contraption in his hands, Brian said, With this parabolic antenna, I can detect the faint electronic signals in the subbox CPU chip and intercept the words that people are thinking before the text is encrypted and transmitted. Lauren's eyes grew wide. This is better than eavesdropping on words that are sent. As you know, people use keywords or microswitches to control when words are sent and when they aren't. For instance, I use finger switches. When my thumb and forefinger touch one another, the words that I think are transmitted. But when they aren't touching, nothing is sent. Otherwise, people would hear what you were thinking to yourself all the time. Yeah? asked Lauren. So? Well, <laughs> by tapping into the CPU chip, I can eavesdrop on the words people are thinking, even when they aren't transmitting. I can listen in to what people are actually thinking in real time before the messages are sent. Lauren blinked. Holy shit. You found a way to actually tap into people's thoughts? I mean, that's, that's amazing. I know. But we need to test this, and then we need to figure out what to do. Lauren thought for a moment. You know what this is, don't you, Brian? He said. What? This is a zero-day exploit. You found a vulnerability in a product that no one else knows about. Not the vendor, not competitors, not hackers. We're the only ones who know about it for now. But we've got to be careful. What do you mean? Well. It used to be that when ZDEs were found in software programs or operating systems, they'd be reported to the vendors so they could be fixed and patched. But then, people realized that others would pay money to learn about such vulnerabilities before the vendor did, so ZDEs got sold to people on the dark web. Depending on how good the exploit was, 
You could demand millions for such secrets. Buying and selling vulnerabilities became so lucrative that organized crime syndicates, hackers, foreign actors, and even governments got into the bidding wars. In fact, some companies were created just to find and sell such secrets. We have to be careful. Why? Wouldn't we just sell to the highest bidder? No. With an exploit like this, there are governments that would kill for the secret. Brian grew worried for the first time. So what do we do? He asked. Well, there are several obvious options. We can sell the secret of what we found to Subvox, or we could auction it off on the dark web, or maybe even sell it directly to the U.S. government. Then again, we could keep it to ourselves and use it to make money in other ways. Wait, I don't think I like the sound of that. What do you mean we'd use it ourselves? How? Grinning, Lauren said, Never mind. It's too early to decide yet. It's like you said. First, we have to test this thing. We have to learn how reliable it is. Studying the small parabolic reflector, Brian asked, Any idea how? Yeah, replied Lauren. I've got some ideas. An hour later, Brian and Lauren sat at a table in the food court of the nearby Olympus Mall, a nexus of movie theaters, restaurants, novelty shops, and clothes stores that was quite popular and crowded for a Friday afternoon. Brian felt self-conscious. He pulled up the top of his hoodie and huddled down, trying to look inconspicuous. He had a small chassis of electronics and a battery power supply hidden in the small black gym bag that rested on the table where they sat. Each of them were earbuds with wires that ran back into the bag, but the parabolic antenna stood out. It was about seven inches across and looked like an oddly shaped mixing bowl with a metal rod sticking out of the middle of it. Brian had fastened it to a handle, and it looked like an alien weapon straight out of a 1950s science fiction movie. What do I do if someone asks what we're doing? asked Brian. Just act natural. Tell them that it's a toy ray gun that you bought at the toy store over there. Say it's for your nephew, and you're just checking it to see if it works. Stop worrying. Eat some of your fries. Brian looked down at the food they'd purchased to complete their disguise, but he wasn't hungry. His mouth was dry, though, so he took a sip of soda from the cup next to him. You aim the antenna, said Lauren. I'll adjust the volume and gain. Let's see what we hear. As they panned the surrounding crowd, Brian first focused the antenna on a pair of teenage girls. They walked together, but they looked at the same thing simultaneously and laughed at the same moments. They were obviously talking to one another through their subvox units. Sure enough, when he fixed his receiver on them, Brian and Lauren could hear the two girls talking, commenting on items in the shop windows, discussing boys at school, and telling off-color jokes about them. Well, that confirms that you've bypassed the encrypted messages, said Lauren. You're tapping into their conversation directly off their units and not using the transmitted messages at all. Next, Brian turned the device to another teenage girl who was alone. When they tuned into her, they found that she was talking nonstop in a stream of consciousness. Brian recognized her behavior as a new fad that had appeared with the Mod 2 units. Some people, narcissists and exhibitionists, turned on their vocalizers to transmit all the time, spraying out what they were thinking to anyone that would listen to them. 
Most people found this to be extremely annoying and called this diarrhea think or dethink, alias dirty think, dumb think, or just shit think. Again, it confirmed that they could detect what was being transmitted without even decoding the messages between the units. Scanning other people in the mall, they eavesdropped on thoughts that weren't being sent to others. Hopping from one person to the next, they listened to people talking to themselves, assuming that their thoughts were private and theirs alone. One man was reviewing a list of errands he needed to complete. A youth with what was probably his first subvox was excitedly anticipating the purchase of a new game console and was having an imaginary conversation with his friends for when he would show it off to them. A dour, angry-looking man walked quickly past them, silently grumbling to himself about how his boss had treated him earlier that day. They also noted a few people that they couldn't read at all. Brian figured that they weren't wearing subvox units, so there was nothing for them to tap into. There was an old man and a serious-looking guy in a gray jacket, who might have been a security guard. Neither of them was readable, so Brian moved on. Periodically, they overheard things that they were obviously never supposed to hear. Things people would likely never say out loud. A few times, Brian and Lauren's eyes flashed to one another, and their eyebrows rose in surprise at what they heard. After perhaps twenty minutes, Brian removed his earbuds and turned to Lauren. Well. That was a pretty comprehensive test. I should have taken notes. But the range on this is better than I thought. I think I can make the antenna smaller and still make it directional using a short coil with a ferrite core. It wouldn't be as bulky and would... Wait, said Lauren suddenly. Move the antenna back to where you were pointing it a second ago. What? said Brian, looking at the handheld device. No, said Lauren, pointing urgently. Over there. Brian complied, but couldn't find the conversation that Lauren referred to. Sorry, said Brian. I wasn't paying attention. I don't know where I had the parabolic dish pointed. What did you hear? Lauren blinked in shock. I only got part of the conversation. The guy was talking to himself and mentioned kidnapping the girl in the red dress that he was looking at. Kidnapping? echoed Brian. Yeah said Lauren, frantically searching the crowd. Then he half stood up and pointed, There, that must be who he was referring to. Brian followed his partner's arm and saw a tall, pretty young woman in a tight-fitting bright red dress over at the mall directory studying the map. She was accompanied by a young man, and they were both dressed as if they were going to a restaurant or a theater. Focusing his equipment on the girl, they heard her searching for a particular store further down the mall concourse. Shifting to her companion, they quickly verified that the person Lauren had heard was not the boyfriend. Are you sure what you heard? asked Brian. Absolutely. The guy said he'd grab her after work at Mike's bar. It was... I mean, what the guy was thinking was really violent. So where's Mike's bar? I haven't a clue, said Lauren. Well, let's find the guy, said Brian. They spent a minute or two searching the crowd for anyone that might have been looking toward the kiosk where she had been standing. Then, Brian noticed that the girl and her companion were no longer in sight. Shit, they're gone. Come on, at least we can warn her. Grabbing the small duffel bag, Brian raced to catch up with Lauren, who had dashed into the crowd ahead of him. 
They ran all the way to the end of the concourse, but did not find the girl in red or the young man. They must have gone into a shop somewhere, said Lauren. Or a restaurant or a theater. Or they might have left the mall. We'll never find them now. So what do we do now? We have to warn them, or warn someone, said Brian. Who? said Lauren impatiently. We don't know where the girl or her friend went. We don't know who the perp is or even what he looks like. The police? suggested Brian. Yeah, that would go over well, said Lauren. Hey, Mr. Policeman, we were just using our new invention to read people's minds and overheard a plot by someone to kidnap a girl, but we don't know who the guy or girl are and any other details. Can you help us? Shit. They'd lock us up for being insane. So what do we do then? We need to find Mike's bar and wait there. Are you sure? What else can we do? Two hours later, Brian and Lauren sat at the table in the back of a place called Mike's Bar and Grill, less than four blocks from the Olympus Mall. It had been quite easy to find. They'd simply Googled it and found it was the only place on this side of the city with that name. The bar was nearly empty. It was the type of place that probably didn't fill up until late. There were only a couple other patrons. A mild-mannered drunk who reflected constantly about how the whole world was unfair, and a man by the door with a dark coat who wasn't wearing a subvox and therefore wasn't readable. Brian and Lauren each nursed a beer, and after a while, the burly dark-haired bartender came over and asked if they wanted to order any food. They both ordered cheeseburgers, but didn't even touch them as they waited. After another hour, the girl walked in, still wearing her red dress. There was no sign of her date. She approached the bartender and gave him a fatherly hug before disappearing through the door to the kitchen at the end of the bar. Lauren and Brian whispered to one another and decided that her dinner date and movie must have finished and she'd finally come in for her shift here at work. Shortly thereafter, a small, thin man stepped out of the kitchen wearing an apron, Brian nearly jumped out of his seat when he turned the antenna toward the cook. It was him, and he was still thinking about grabbing the girl, Diana, when she left. Brian started to rise, but Lauren grabbed his arm and yanked him back down into the booth. Wait, he whispered. There's nothing we can do yet. He hasn't committed any crime, and if we confronted him, we'd likely just get thrown out into the street. Brian glanced at the bartender, who they'd already determined was the owner. The large man could easily have worked as a bouncer at a biker bar, and Lauren was right. He was the type to throw out anyone that caused trouble at all. We'll just wait for the girl to return, said Lauren. Then we can warn her. We explained that we heard him talking to himself and tell her about his plans. Just be patient. Taking a sip from his warm beer, Brian tried to wait patiently, but five minutes turned to ten, and finally, after fifteen minutes, neither the cook nor the girl had reemerged from the kitchen. Something's wrong. You go check with the owner and I'll read him from here. Lauren stood and walked casually over to the bartender. Hi, said Lauren. I was wondering if I could ask you some questions. The bartender paused and stopped drying the glass he had just washed and replied, About what? 
Well, I wanted to know if that girl who was in here a while ago works here. Yeah, so what? Well, I saw her earlier and thought she might be waiting on our table. She only came in to pick up a check, said the owner. It's Friday. That's when the checks are picked up. Um, okay. I was wondering, though, if you could tell me. It's none of your business, he said, interrupting Lauren. No, it's okay, said Lauren. I just wanted to know if... I told you it's none of your business. She's not here now. Maybe you should leave. Uh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. Maybe you could tell me about the other fellow that came out of the kitchen. Could you tell me his name? The bartender set the glass down and reached under the bar. It's time for you to leave, he said. I just wanted... The bartender pulled out a short, thick wooden stick, a truncheon, and held it menacingly in one hand. I told you to leave, he said once more. Lauren opened his mouth to speak, but the owner slammed the stick down hard on the surface of the bar and made Lauren jump back nearly two feet. Now, he said in a deep voice that was nearly a growl. Lauren backed away, barely glancing at the booth in the back where Brian sat. Seeing Lauren look toward the reed of the bar, the bartender half shouted, That means you too, buddy. It's time to go. Brian nodded and scrambled, stuffing his directional antenna into the black gym bag and hustling out of the booth. Then he hurried out of the bar, keeping his eyes lowered to avoid the large man's eyes. Lauren waited on the sidewalk, two storefronts away. Well, that didn't go very well, said Lauren. No, it was great. You asked him just the right questions. The girl came in to pick up her check, and the guy asked to take off early. They both left out the back door. But that means she's probably already been grabbed. We've lost her. No, the guy is the owner's nephew, Terry, a disturbed kid that he figures needed a break. All we have to do is find where he lives. That's where he'd been thinking of taking her. Finding Terry ended up being far easier than Lauren had expected. Using his smartphone, Brian looked up the business records of Mike's bar and got the owner's full name, Mike Barstow. Then he used his personal Ancestry.com premium account to look up the bartender's family tree. After that, it was a snap to obtain the nephew's full name, and a search of public records revealed that Terry had an arrest record of sexual harassment and stalking. Then they found his address in Associated Court documents and headed right over to his place. Terry's apartment was on the first floor of the tenement, but all the windows were shuttered and darkened. However, by turning up the amplifier and the scanner to maximum, Brian was able to confirm that Terry and Diana were both in the apartment and that Diana was still alive. However, she urgently needed rescuing. Finally, Lauren made an anonymous call to the police, telling them about a kidnapping in progress. Several squad cars showed up in less than four minutes. The results were predictably straightforward. The police broke in. Terry was arrested and taken away in handcuffs. Diana was rescued and was escorted to the station, shaken and bruised, but otherwise unharmed. No one knew of Brian's or Lauren's involvement, and the matter was closed.
After everyone had left, Brian and Lauren walked back to where they had parked their car on an adjacent street. Well, said Brian, that was one hell of a test. Yeah, it sure was, replied Lauren. It also gives us some additional options about what to do with this invention. <laughs> like what? asked Brian, laughing. Like opening up a detective agency to save damsels in distress? Oh, something like that. I was thinking more along the lines of opening an intelligence service agency. You know, industrial espionage. We could make a killing. What do you think? Before Brian could answer, a voice from behind them said, No, I don't think that would be a good idea. The two of them spun around and found themselves facing a large man in a coat who held a gun toward both of them. Who are you? stammered Brian. Doesn't matter, replied the man. Touching his collar, he said, I have two suspects in custody. Send the car for pickup. It was then that Brian recognized the man. It's the same guy, he said to Lauren. What guy? It's the guy that I couldn't read in the mall, the one I thought was a security guard. It's also the guy who was at the end of the bar at Mike's place. I just didn't recognize him. Lauren studied the stranger. It's you, isn't it? said Brian. You've been following us, haven't you? The man chuckled, but his weapon did not waver in the slightest. Well, you have had a busy day, but it's not over yet. Shit, muttered Lauren. I just figured it out. What? said Brian. The exploit, he said. We're not the first people to discover it. Turning to the stranger, Lauren said in an almost accusing tone, That's it, isn't it? We thought we'd found something new, but you already knew about it. You guys probably discovered it long before we did, and you use it. I'll bet you monitor tech startups who specialize in finding software vulnerabilities, and you knew what we'd discovered as soon as we did. What are you, FBI, CIA, NSA? Tell me, I'm right, aren't I? Well, you're right about one thing. You're not the first to find this vulnerability. We've known about it since Mod 1. But you're not going to be able to use it, or sell it, or tell anyone about it. Wait, said Brian. You're wearing a subvox. How come I couldn't read you? Touching his ear, the stranger said, It's a military-grade Mod 5. It's fully shielded, so you'd never detect its signals. At that moment, a black SUV pulled up and stopped on the street next to them. Then the door opened to reveal two more dark-clad men waiting for them inside. As they were forcefully assisted into the van, the stranger added, The only thing that I will tell you is that there are quite a number of things you've never heard of, like our organization and other technologies and exploits that we protect and control. As a matter of fact, there's one interesting application that you'll soon learn about that people never heard of. It's called memory redaction, and in about 40 minutes, you won't remember your discovery or meeting us or any of the adventures that you had today. I don't understand, said Brian. And you don't need to, replied the stranger. You've had a busy day, but it's almost over. Then the door of the van slammed shut, and the car drove away into the night. Thank you for listening. 
We love our listeners, fans, and patrons here at Untold Tales, and we hope you love the stories that we're bringing to you month after month on the first of each month. Please consider leaving us a review on Podchaser. Now, we know that last year was not the best year ever, and neither was the one before. But we hope that we've been able to bring you at least a little bit of enjoyment in these challenging years. And we will be working to continue to bring you these awesome stories and building communities so that you can be part of us. As always, we love our listeners, fans, and patrons. Have a wonderful day and a happy, happy new year.